Hey guys, welcome in. No ride around action. We this is gonna be a fun episode today. <laughs> I'm looking at my 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 show notes, and the first thing that popped off the page was strap on. <laughs> yeah, that was the supposed to be the the. So here's what we did. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so you know, there's most of the time Harley and I pick these topics based on either what's trending or what's on top of our mind or what makes sense with the way that like season is progressing. Right. Yep. And what we don't do very often times, uh, is open the door up and say, what do you guys want to hear about? And so what we did is we shot an email to the no rider on team, you know, and we asked our teammates, Hey, what questions maybe we haven't addressed or, Thoughts that you may have or want us to kind of extrapolate on, or, or you know, yeah, just things like, like more yeah. clarification, yeah, like, or exactly, or, yeah. You know, like we had a, you know, a lot of these episodes sometimes we'll go over high level tech or new product or things like that. And Harley, you understand all this stuff so much better than I do that a lot of times the explanations are even over my own head. So um, to reach out to the community and say, hey, like to our team, what do you want to know about? And we got like a handful. Yeah, I think we two got, hand, we got it's six or eight questions yeah, here. a good amount of questions that we're going to dive into and try to give some clarity and, and we're assuming a lot of people want to hear it. I, you know, and what I like about these, um, some of them are like rooted in technology and science, you know, whether it's component choice or gear choice or nutrition. And some of them are like experiential, like, yeah. you know, but it just it takes it because I get super hung up on the tech side of things, to me, probably to a fault, probably to my own detriment. I mean, it's kind of your job. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm I, I should probably let it go a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna dive into these. We're gonna just hit them off and be like, hey, here's the question we got, and then you know some of them we'll both answer. Yeah, um, yeah our own angle, and and we'll just talk about them. Which one do you want to start with? Hey, go for it, man. You're the one with the big screen in front of you. Oh, okay. Um, Let's start off with tire pressure. Okay, yeah, not a bad way to go. The question is tire pressure. Uh, you know, we know by trial and error, but maybe a true discussion on a little tire pressure spread we work in, race day and why. Keep uh, tire... A constant and then why. Yeah. Yeah, so just asking about like, hey, like, what tire pressure do you run? What's the logic behind that? And then does it change based on what you're riding. Yeah. So I, across all my bikes, go with the same tire pressure setup. I do 26 in the rear. I do 24 in the front. Period. Period, dot, end of story. No matter where you're riding, terrain, all that stuff. Yep. Now, okay, 24, 26, that's what you run. Yep. 24 in the front. 24 in the front, yeah. So how do you know it's 24, 26? I don't. I know that I have a digital pressure gauge that tells me that it thinks it's 24 and 26. And so relative to that measuring tool, I know that the tire pressures that I'm running work for me. Which brings me to a glorious fall day in Crested Butte. I'm camping (laughs) alongside of Slate River, about to go do Dr. Park, which in the middle of Dr. Park, you have the best, sweetest, most sexy three-mile serpentine stretch of ribbon single track through trees anywhere in the state or maybe even the country. And I'm getting my bike set up, and I use a digital tire pressure gauge myself. 
and I know exactly what pressure I like to run, which is different than yours. And I go to check it, and the gauge is not giving me an accurate reading, and it's not giving me an accurate reading, and it's not giving me any reading. And so then it was propelled across said street that I was, or road I was camping on, directly into a rock face where I'd smashed and destroyed tire pressure <laughs> gauge. Um, because once we know what we want it to be, it can really throw you off if you don't have it right there. For sure. Um, how and and how did I land on that tire pressure? Well, I I use the same pressure gauge every time, so the pump doesn't matter. Like right. I don't even look at the dial on the pump right. when I'm topping off my tires. I only reference my my digital pressure gauge. Um, but I tried a bunch of different stuff. Now, there are some riders who I think would. Um, champion the idea of different tire pressures for different conditions. Um, but I, if I know how my tire is going to work over every condition that I don't need to, I don't feel like I need to adjust for a hard pack day or a loose day or a wet day. Right. Um, you found, you found tire pressure that you feel most confident on yep. in that you like. So, 24, 26. For me, I'm 100, 190 pounds. Like, and, and so to me, the factors that go into to tire pressure are um, weight of the rider. So somebody who's 230 pounds and somebody who's 115 pounds are going to be in different spectrums, right? For the same ride characteristics, right? Right. right. Um, so the weight of the rider, um, you know, if you're a smaller rider, you're down, you know, 100, 130 pounds and you have uh, a riding style or riding technique where you're not just smashing into rocks so you don't need to protect your tire as much, man, I bet you could be in the mid to low teens, you know, on the, on the lighter end of the spectrum. Um, but I've seen riders who are 145 pounds and have total disregard for their equipment and just smashing every single rock and they should probably be running 40. So <laughs> you've got, you know, rider, rider weight. Um, but then also how do you ride? How do you approach terrain? And what do you want from your bike? Like, yeah, you know, some, so I watched a, a video just recently showed, uh, Nino Scherter setting up his rear tire mm -hmm. for his tire pressure. And one of his gauges is he puts his full body. I think I said this a while back, he puts his full body weight, on the tire and he wants it to touch rim and right. that's where he wants it to be um he's also got a wheel swap that's available to him every lap of an xc race <laughs> so that's a different deal but um and he's smoother than anybody that you yeah. or i or anybody that we right. know will ever be right so i run mine's a little different only because some of my books bikes have Cushcore Pro, some have XC Cushcore, and some have no. Yeah, I, I run no. I, I despite supporting the use of tire inserts, I don't personally use them. Right. So you're running 24, 26 on no insert mm -hmm. at all, and I'll run on my race bike has no insert. I run 24, 25, 24 front, 25, or almost exactly the same. Yeah. Yep. Um, setup, and the only reason I run a little bit more goose in the rear is because I have broken some rear wheels. Yeah, yeah. And there's a surefire way to lose a race, and that's to not have a wheel yeah, anymore. Yeah, or to pinch flat your tire. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, but I'll tell you what, though. If I'm off one PSI, I know it. And even if you don't know it, your brain knows it? Oh, dude. So, like, I, on my ride last weekend with a group, we were doing a bike path connector section, 
And just because I'm an asshole, I sent off the side of like a curb and just did a little deal. And when I landed, my tire goes and just burps a little. Yeah. And then the only thing I can think about is the horror. I just need to get to a pump as soon as possible to put 1.5 psi back into this tire <laughs> right now. Yeah, I um I had a ride uh, solo. I just I went after work on a Saturday. Nobody went with me. It was just one of those things. And I for some reason I had, I always have a floor pump in my car. Always. Like. As sure as shit as there's a transmission underneath the truck, there's a pump in the back. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and for whatever re- reason, it wasn't in there. Neither and, was your transmission. Which yeah, made it which really was super hard up. to get there. <laughs> Pushing a Tacoma up up to Evergreen was a nightmare. <laughs> um, so what I did here's genius thinking I have. I I'm like, well, my bike's here, my pump's not. Um, could have just taken a pump out of the shop and put it back the next day. Didn't think that's that far ahead. So I just, I goosed my tires up to 30 PSI. And then I did have my digital pressure gauge in my car. So I was like, I'll get up there. I'll just lower it from 30. Right. I do that a lot. Yeah. Uh, it did plan did not go according to how it went in my brain. And I ended up with 23 PSI in my rear tire. And I had already driven 40 minutes up to Evergreen. And it had been a long week and I needed a ride. And so the hell with it. I lowered the front to 22 and figured we, but I hadn't experimented with tire pressure in forever. Um, and, uh, I don't know if it's, and I don't know if the term confirmation bias applies here, but like 23 was definitely too low. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No. And that's, you know, I usually know my rear is too low when I hear, um, the, the unmistakable banging of the rim yeah. when I hit something, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think in reference to this especially this user's question, uh, I'll never change mine based on conditions because I want the least amount of variables possible mm-hmm. brought to the trail. Yep. And so I'm not going to let tire pressure be another variable. It's like, no, I know what I run. Yeah, this um, is the exact same for me. So with my Cushcore Pro, however, I actually run 17 front, 19 rear. Yeah. So, and that's pretty yeah. low, but I also have got this big chunk of insert. Oh, foam and to, you have... To get lower air volume so for right. a given tire pressure it feels about the same yeah but you got to know your numbers like if you yeah. don't and i will tell you this even having been riding bikes as long as i have and pumping up my own tires the the pinch test of the never works like when i'm at a trailhead and i ask somebody I'm like hey man you need to use my pump and they just squeeze their, their tire, tire and they're like no i'm good I'm like you're an asshole yeah we're definitely going to be waiting for you yeah yeah like you have <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> So, um, and then the, I think the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll touch on, uh, before we move on is, you know, Justin and I both ride continental tires cause they support the podcast. Um, and they work that they work for us. Um, if I were to switch to a different brand, I would probably have to go through finding my tire pressure again, because different sidewall composition thicknesses. Um, I think, one of your bikes had Maxis and we switched you over to Conti and you were like, man, do you notice the sidewalls are a bit stiffer? Like, so it was a, what it was honestly, it was a one PSI difference, but I felt it. Yeah. I you knew called it. me yeah. after your ride, like from the truck. And I was like, would this make sense? Yeah. So, um, you know, just cause you're, you know, just cause I'm 24, 26 on Conti's doesn't mean that if I were to ever ride a Maxis or a Schwalbe or a Kenda or whatever, that those numbers are going to translate. So get a digital pressure gauge. They're not expensive. They're 30 bucks. Take your time to learn your t- your pressure gauge and just experiment. And for those of you that are like on the 
like much more towards the beginner side of the spectrum. The reason it's so important is so like, I, we've got some new people on the team that have never really ridden much. Yeah, the newer and, riders. And they bought their new bikes and they, you know, they looked at the recommended tire pressure on the sidewall. You know, that's like mandatory printed and, and they've goosed it up to there. Too much air will make your ride horrible, yeah. right? You want to be smooth as fast, right? And you want the tire to be able to work. And so it really is important. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't really care, just, you know, no, it really is. Like you can actually um, miss out on everything that a bike can offer you by by just ignoring tire pressure. Yeah. So, great question. Yep. I like that one. Uh, which one do you want to do next? You, you, you pick one. All right. So this is one that um, actually – hits in my heart a little bit. So <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm going to go here. And so we're going to stay with gear and I apologize if, you, if you're not into it, but this, uh, this question talks about bike racks oh. and they talk about how, you know, we spend so much money on our bikes themselves, right? Like the, our gear, it's not cheap, you know? Um, and then how we transport it oftentimes is like an afterthought. And so the, the question says, we haven't really touched on bike racks. There's several, several options out there, several price points, Roof mount, hitch mount, strap on, <laughs> platform, fork hey guys, mount. I'm not just, I'm not a pervert. It's, it was on there. Tube support, locks, retraction, swingers. So we got strap ons and swingers for bike racks. What are we <laughs> supposed to, what are we supposed to do? And uh, the only reason I say this one hits at home is because um, years ago when uh, I brought, you know, Clint into the business of E3, um, he was way into mountain biking and you and Clint have been like boys forever. Yep. And he had a nice bike and all the night, you know, he had the shiny shit and mine was still this like Craigslist specialized. And, uh, I had actually a hanging bike rack also. And I had to have that little weird attachment that goes from the stem to the seat to create a straight bar because the bike had like a weird V frame to it. So I could use a hanging bike rack. And I remember him clowning me so hard. And he's like, dude, you, when are you going to get like a, a real bike rack? This is some bullshit. Um, and so when I read that question, I do realize now in that moment, I had felt like super judges back in like 2010 or 2011, I guess. And now when I see someone's bike rack, I can judge an entire human being based on the rack <laughs> that is on the back of their car. Like I know who, what kind of person yeah. you are. When you see somebody driving down the street with like the strappy thing hanging on their hatchback and attached to it, and then they got like a Yeti SP140 on there and you're yeah. like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, bike racks are one of the so first of all, I think it it's imperative to establish that the the hitch mount bikes that hang or hitch mount racks that hang the bike are garbage. The only way you can use those is if you're transporting four of your kids' bikes. You have a horde of children, you don't get to ride bikes anymore yourself, and you just need to get these kids somewhere quickly. You to can get them out of your hair. Yeah, just strap all yeah. of them together and get out of here. That's it. They're the worst um, because they're just – the bikes bang together. Like, if you care – if you're putting any piece of equipment on that rack that you give a shit about, can't have it. you can't have it. Like, they're going to bang around. You got to use this weird adapter thing. If you don't have the weird adapter thing, it's resting on the frame weird or the bike's not as secure as it should be. They're hot garbage. Yeah. I, can't, I cannot <laughs> support the use of any bike rack – where the bike dangles from the frame via the bike rack. I just I can't get on board. So those are out. We're those are out. See you later. I'll okay. I'll because I'm an understanding human. If 
you're not super serious about it and you have a hatchback and you're not going to put a hitch on your hatchback, get the weird little strappy thing. I'm sure it'll work just fine. No, I'm not going to say that's stupid. I'm going to say, learn to take your wheels off and put them inside your car. The strappy thing is I'll drive down the streets. Matter of fact, if you even have what the bike racks we're going to talk about here in a moment in the strap that just holds the little rear wheel on <laughs> is unhooked on yours, yeah. I don't trust you either. Yeah. If you if something is flapping on your car, nothing on your car should flap. I'm out. Straps are out. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, the three bike racks or bike transportation devices that I can get on board with um, are tray mounts on the roof or on a hitch rack. So that's two, but tray mount, like wheel stays on. You don't have to take, you don't have to take your bike apart. You don't have to jump through all these ridiculous hoops. So tray mount, um, if you can't, if you don't know what I'm talking about or you can't picture it, if you've ever seen like a, a city bus, like you, you put the bike on it and this little arm goes over the front wheel. Yep. So you don't have to take the front wheel off. Um, whether it's on the roof or on a hitch mount, trays. Trays. Doesn't touch the paint. Doesn't touch the bike, touches tires and wheel. Um, Which is a designation to make because there's a brand, won't be named, that is a tray mount, and you also, but you don't ratchet on the, you ratchet yeah, onto you, the frame. You grab onto the frame. And uh, I'm out. Yeah, I'm out on those I'm too. I'm out. It's, I'm not going I, listen, most of us cover our bikes in thin protective film stored to tape. There's a whole industry, actually, of protective film on your bikes to protect the paint. Yeah. The whole point is to have nothing touch it, right? I'm not going to cinch down a thing that is yeah. guaranteed to vibrate and rub on my paint scheme. not going to do it. Yeah. And I, my first roof rack, I had one of those, and they're terrible. The person uh, who asked this question has one of them. It's uh, terrible, bro. I'm not going to name you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so any sort of tray mount. Um, again, I don't love roof racks, but sometimes they just make sense for the... Like, I had a... Before I had my my truck, I had a mini, and you don't even want to know the the expense and absurd adapting and fitting and shit you have to do to get a hitch on a mini. So <clears throat> this is funny because you had r- racks for your mini, uh-huh. which you don't have anymore. I don't. Yeah, you got rid of them. Mm-hmm. You sold them to somebody. Yeah, some some guy who beat me up on price sitting right across from me. <laughs> Dude, I roached you on price. <laughs> the best part is I knew how long you had them. Yeah. And you're not doing anything with no, them. No, and, and that was like when you hit me with the first price, I was like, come on. And then when you hit me with the second price, I was like, all right, like they're not making me money sitting in my garage. Yeah. <laughs> so I bought them because I put them on my wife's car, I put them yep. on Abby's roof. And yep. she's got um, a little a Ford Escape, mm-hmm. which isn't a big SUV. And so we put them on the roof of her car um, because it's a lease. And honestly, uh, the cost of getting a hitch installed on a car that's yeah. not supposed to have an itch, that's all going to be lost money when we turn the lease back in. Mm-hmm. And the roof racks can be transported to bike yeah, to my to, truck to, or to whatever, yeah, right? to wherever. Yeah. Um, so, but the wheel stays on. Yeah, wheel stays on. And the arm, the front arm grabs the front wheel. And there's a little strap that goes over the rear wheel. You're not touching the frame. Some people might get antsy about a strap going over the, the rear wheel, but... It, it, it's not scuffing anything. No, there's nothing wrong. Um, and then, um, so I, I actually use two different racks, and I, I haven't really decided which one I ultimately like better. Um, I like them both, but for different reasons. So I have uh, just a two-bike Kuat hitch mount rack um, that's on my truck right now. It's what I've been using the most for the last couple of months. Um. But if I want to carry more than one bike or more than two bikes, sorry. Uh, first of all, it maxes out at four, and it's going to cost me another four hundred bucks yeah. to get the the, the add on. 
Um, and so I do have a hitch pad, uh, or not a hitch pad, a tailgate pad. Sorry. Right. Um, I can carry six bikes. I can carry more bikes than I can fit in, people in my truck. Um, so I will condone the use of a tailgate pad, but I will offer two pieces of advice and one piece of warning. The one piece of warning is that they don't all protect the bottom of the frame from the inside of the tailgate. That's absolutely true. Some of them do. Some of them have padding where it should be. Um, They claim to. Yeah. Um, So uh, the two, the the warning is it could damage your paint. Uh, The two pieces of advice are get a piece of 3M clear bra, throw it on the contact. Like if, if that's your, how you're going to transport your bike, spend 12 bucks on Amazon and get a roll of 3M clear tape and replace it a few times a season or uh, go to your hardware store of choice and get some uh, pipe insulation, like that black foam pipe insulation Mm -hmm. and put it on the edge of the tailgate before you put the pad on. Uh, so that's my only gripe on a tailgate pad is that it, it, it can scuff the frame. Yeah. But it's crazy convenient. I can pull into my garage with bikes still loaded up. I can't do that with my hitch rack. Yeah. Um, um, so <clears throat> we, I have a bone to pick with you, actually. Um, <laughs> last year, we had one of our cycling community members move out of town. And uh, we, we did two weeks of going away events for this human um, that were bike rides. And on one of them, we were at North Table, uh-huh. and uh, I rode my gravel bike to to the ride, yep. and then rode and everything, and then was going to ride home. And yeah, instead, like, you gave me a ride home, yeah, which was nice. And so we threw my gravel bike on the back of your tailgate pad, and now there's paint missing on the down tube <laughs> of my gravel bike. And every time it hangs in my garage and I look at it- It's all you see. I go, it was from one ride, yep. one shuttle ride. And I should have just ridden home, yep. okay? That's one your time, lesson. And I was like, so now- like if we were to go ride right now after this episode, and you're like, "Hey, dude, we'll just just throw your bike on my truck." I'm like, no, I'm cool. I'm gonna drive myself. Yeah. If it was a tailgate pad, so yeah. I I hate that, you know. Yeah. Um. Well, and as I said, but you I have mean, a workaround. I I didn't I didn't realize it until I realized. It. Yeah. Totally. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And so, uh, let my mistakes save you from future heartache if you decide to use a tailgate pad. So, ultimately, guys, it uh, is oftentimes an afterthought. Um, <clears throat> you spend a lot of money on your rack. Spend a lot of money on the rack. For me, I say that because yeah. the functionality of it, um, knowing how to use it, like how user-friendly it is, all of us will have different like reasons for whatever. I like a swing away because I want to be able to access the back of my truck because I camp in it. So I have a, a rack that swings out and swings away. But it's freaking super expensive. And so if you're going to shop a rack and you're like, wow, that's really expensive, you're getting like sticker shock, trust me, all the way worth it. Because if you go budget cheap discount, it, they're a pain in the ass to use. They're rickety, rackety. Um, and ultimately, even if it does last, <clears throat> it'll be a source of headache. And you use different bikes maybe all the time, but you always use one rack. Yeah. Um, so, I'll, so like, spend the money on I'll it. I'll dispute the, the dollar thing a little bit. Well, um, Kuat's just bougie. Well, but Kuat, you can get a three-bike rack for 330 bucks. All right. So I think if you can... If you can get yourself from zero to one on putting a hitch on your vehicle, like let's say, oh shit, it's two hundred and fifty bucks, yeah. go ahead, do it, and then there's there's affordable tray rack style 
options out there. You don't have to spend like again, Kuat is bougie. The rack that's on the back of my truck is six hundred and ninety dollars. Right. If I wanted the four bike, it's a thousand dollar rack. A lot of money. Pound sand. But <laughs> but it's the one thing you use yeah. every time every you ride. Time. And they like so I got a new rack this year for the swingway feature. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um not a cheap rack. The rack I had before was a Yakima. I had it for seven years. The same rack. Yeah. You know, I took care of it. Multiple vehicles. Multiple, multiple vehicles. Bikes. Multiple. I, I took care of it though, like, you know, once or twice a season, I go around and I torque all the bolts and make sure they're tight. But they last a really long time. Um, they last longer than the vehicle you're probably driving. And so um, spend the money on it. Last piece here. Do not trust any sort of a security measure that any of them have. I think no. that the one up has the best security measure of any bike rack brand out there because it locks not it locks onto the wheels and then it has a cable feature to lock the bike itself. Trust me, thieves will get it. Mm-hmm. I never trust the security. Like, yeah, for 20 minutes to run into a grocery store or for 35 minutes parked out front of my house or whatever, but like overnight, I'm never leaving a bike on a rack, no matter how many cables and locks and <laughs> I will never stay overnight or at REI parking lot downtown Denver (laughs) (laughs) ever. Like even at, even at work, uh, like I can see it. I take it inside. Yeah. Don't trust them. No. So if that's just cable locks at the end of the day, if that's the defining characteristic on what you're buying, it ain't worth it. Yeah. Um, All right. Moving on. Yeah. Chain ring choices, I think should be the next one. Don't okay. you? Yeah, I mean, look, we're geared we'll get out the gear right stuff out of because the, the next stuff's real fun. So I, stick I'm with like, us. like my, I'm salivating it. Yeah, at like the, a couple dude, of these. We're talking about some cool fun <laughs> stuff here in a moment. Uh, so, front chain ring choices. Uh, when it's worth changing uh, on a one by setup, does a 30 or a 32 tooth really matter? When you have a 50 plus chain ring or a cog in the rear, um, how do we determine what chain ring we should run? I mean, a lot of people kind of like going back to a lot of people just buy their bike and ride it how the fuck it comes. Yeah. Don't even think twice. <laughs> like, like if you were to ask them what size chain ring do you have on front, which most is people huge, would say, I don't know. I have no idea. Whatever came with it. Um, but I also think a lot of people probably on every climb, just jam it into the easiest gear and start the climb. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of reasons to not do that. You told me years ago we were pedaling and you're like, Oh dude, the big, like whatever your biggest ring in the back in their cassette, that's like your ultimate bailout. I'm tasting pennies. I'm in a vomit. I need to be in it. That's when you use your biggest one in the back. Other than that, it's like, don't use it. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, so what size chain ring should you use? Well, what do you, well, what, what's yeah. time will we use? What I use you, a 30. Use I a 30 can, I can push a 32. Yep. Um, but I end up on, and, I rode a 32 tooth um, at Brack Epic last year. And on the end of those long days when you want a high cadence to try to like flush your legs a little bit, it's just not there (laughs) for me. Yeah. For me. Now everybody's strengths are different. Um, You know what, what their, what their power bandwidth is and what kind of, you know, you can probably push a 34, 42 at, you know, a pretty reasonable cadence. Right, I, I would guess, you know, just yeah. based on your fitness level and what you've accomplished on a bike. Um, so everybody's going to be a little bit different. So ego says, well, if you can ride a 32, ride the 32. But then you end up in a scenario where you're 
you know, we're running Shimano. So our, our big gear is a, is a 51 in the back. Am I living in it? No, but I'm using it more than I probably should be. If right. I'm, if I'm pushing a 32 tooth up front. Yeah. Um, so I tend to err on setting my bikes up with a chain ring that allows me to ride, you know, we're on 12 speed drivetrain. So I want to almost pretend I don't have my 51 and I kind of want to use the, the two or three below it as like my primary climbing gears, depending on, you know, how steep the grade is, what the terrain is, you know, is it technical or am I spinning? Um, so that's how I, I choose mine. I let, I let my strength and my ability to not use the 51 dictate what size chain ring. Huh? So I was, so this is interesting because what you just talked about is kind of like a lot of feel stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like how you feel when you're in, that's typically how I do. I'm like, you're, you're like, Hey, how'd you like that bike? I don't know. It was awesome. It felt great. Bike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, what do you like about that bike? Like, well, this, uh, the, the head tube angle is nice. Cause it's blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, and you, yeah. I actually got nerdier on this topic. So I run a 34 up front and I don't run a 34 up front because, um, I'm like, well, I'm going to be in, in the 50, whether or not I'm going to use my 51 in the rear for the easier climbing or not easier climbing. My thought is if I can handle the 34 up front and climb anything, whether I'm using the 51 or not, it means I can get through it all. It means then that every other cog on that cassette, I'm faster with a bigger front ring. Sure. So I did the math, right? And I'm like, okay, I remember making this math when I wanted to do the swap and ch- I wanted to change up, especially with single speed. But I was like, okay, if every revolution of my pedals of a 34 equates to X on the rear versus a 32 on the front to X on, the, I did that math. And so it made every cog on the cassette. Seem yeah. You got be, way nerdier yeah. than I did. And I'm like, it's totally worth it. And so that's how I made the switch. Yeah. Um, this weekend and riding with some other high level dudes, one guy told me what he runs and he's a stronger rider than me for sure. I did. It's, it's irrefutable. Okay. Uh-huh. Stronger rider than me. He runs a 32 up front and then he runs a 1045 spread in the rear. Yep. And he runs 32 up front, 1045 on every one of his bikes, um, all of his mountain bikes. Versus, I was like, well, why not run a? Because we were talking about how SRAM now is going to have the 52. The 52. So are people going to run 36 right. and yada, yada, yada? And he's like, well, no, dude, I the 1045 spread's my favorite because it's the smoothest. Yep. And so I run 32 up front and I was like, dude, this guy's stronger than me smaller front gear and he rides stronger than me so you know i don't know yeah and and you can't i mean i've had customers where they get really i'm gonna say hung up and it's gonna sound negative but they're you know whether they're transitioning off of a three by you know three chain ring setup or two chain ring setup it's just it's it's new enough to them that they're really concerned about having enough climbing gear and so I know the like by heart the URL for every gear calculator on the internet because you can plug in your chain ring size and your cassette spread and you can compare if I run this front chain ring with this cassette, you know, what what's the the gear inches? Most people don't even know what a gear inch is, um, and I'm not going to even sit here and try to explain it to everybody. Look it up, um, but. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't actually know what any of those numbers translate to, but they know that a smaller number means it's easier to climb. And that's all they see. Um, but yeah, I, I think 
when I'm building a bike for a customer or when, when we're doing a custom build or even just making a recommendation for a customer here at the store, uh, I just got to go with the, you don't want to live in your, your easiest gear. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think, um, front chain ring is also equated to like cyclists dick size. Well, so, and, and that's why I say, you know, like pushing that 32 last year was an ego thing. Yeah. I, I could do it, so I did do it. Yeah, yeah. And I could push a 32 again this year, but you, I'm using more of my cassette. Yeah. Right? Like I'm, I, I'm because I have a smaller cog up for a smaller chain ring up front, you know, on some climbs, I'm in the middle of the cassette, you know, which that's not, that wouldn't be, be a thing. So I'm, I'm I'm carrying around all 12 of these gears. I feel like I should be using them. So, and we'll move on, but check this out. I got a guy who just, uh, he uses this, uh, this new computer. I think it's Ham- Hammerhead is the brand. Uh, I think it's, I think it's something like that, but it interfaces with his access. Wah- tr- Wahoo will do that as well. Tracks his shift count. Oh yeah. No, I didn't know that. Didn't one. know this one. Did no. you? So we get no. Justin just beat me. Boom! Got you, son. <laughs> so this guy happened. He's so it was Rob, and he's it's like a, me beating him up a climb. <laughs> so the, uh, Rob's a typically a single speeder, mm-hmm. and so um, he just got access, and he went like he went all the way, and he's never had a dropper. And he's got access dropper too. Oh geez, um, which we're talking about why, which is really cool. But um, he's got this like hammerhead computer, which has a ton of data tracking on it. Links into his access, and it tells him his shift count. So we got from Kenosha to um, the start of the climb that's going to go to Georgia Pass, which wasn't long. We were only like eight miles in or six miles in or something like that. And he goes, how many times do you think I shifted already? And he pulled it. It was like 155 times. And I'm like, holy shit, dude, you shifted 155 times? And then the rider behind him, who doesn't have um, this tracking device, goes, dude, I bet you I shifted more than you. Because he goes, Rob, I was watching you. You should have shifted way more. As a single speeder, he can just like kind of grin and bear it more. Yeah. At the end of our ride, it was 70 miles, okay? It was a huge, it was a full day on the on the Colorado Trail, big day. 1,530 shifts. Holy shit. So, and this is a guy that doesn't shift very much. Right, this is a guy who rides a single, single speed. speed okay? <laughs> he shifted 1,530 times in like eight hours of mountain biking. That's so crazy. When, you, when we're having a conversation about this, and maybe you're listening and you're like, dude, who gives a shit? Your drivetrain, like you use it way more than you think. I mean, thousands of times yeah. on a full day of riding. I know I don't shit. Like, we were riding up in Winter Park over 4th of July, 4th of July weekend, and we were riding with Daryl Price. Dude's a total hoss. He can he can pedal through anything. And he was shifted in three to five times to my one yeah. on every climb. Like, I know I don't shift enough. Um, but, dude, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, 1,530. And I, I have heard of this thing. So yeah. You didn't all the way beat me. Well, I brought it up and then you didn't hear of it. And now you looked at it and you said you didn't hear no, it. No, so. I, I remembered the 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 splash page. Um, but anyway, pretty cool, interesting. Yeah. So, so gears do make a difference. Um, yeah. So you know, I guess the the only other thing that I'll add to it, and I think this is kind of getting more into a technique thing than a, a gear thing. But like, it's not like a lot of people think climbing is spinning at a high RPM in the easiest gear they have up the hill. And it's way more dynamic than that. Sometimes that's appropriate if it's flat and you can spin at 85, 90 RPM. But sometimes to to handle technical terrain or loose terrain, it needs to be 50, 60, 70 RPMs in a much harder gear. So lots of times if you're approaching a technical feature and you're 
you feel like you're at the edge, you know, you do need to have a gear that you can, cl- a, a chain ring that allows you to click down one or two, but still be able to take it over so that you can handle that technical terrain. Yeah. It's, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause we, when we rode a, a few weeks ago, we did shop ride mm-hmm. and, uh, you're one of your newer employees, a new shop kid was trying to get through like a technical switchback area. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, Oh, make it go to an easier gear. And I said, and they said rather opposite. Said, yeah, yeah. Come out of that easier gear. Yep. Um, because you do want, you want what I call it. Like when I'm teaching beginners is like, you want pedal pressure. Yep. Like you want to feel the pedals underneath you Yeah. so that you know, you can leverage yourself to kind of get through there. Now, does that mean you can't do a tight switchback? with light pedal pressure at a high gear, like a soft pedal. No, you definitely can. It requires a lot more. Way more technique. Technique. Ton, like, and stability and balance. And then, so, pedal pressure, like, you, you're going to want to have it. So, it's funny we just brought that yeah. up. Yeah, so. Um, cool. All right, let's get to the fun ones. Yeah, the fun stuff. Go uh, for it. Pick one. What's the biggest F-up you've had on the bike, whether it was a crash, race mistake, et cetera? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's uh i've got two i want you to go they're both in the same year okay 2016 um one was a massive crash and one was a massive f up okay. i don't know why i'm saying f up i say fuck all the time yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey. Are you fucking went to church just now okay. um so the biggest crash i've had recently um and it could have been so much worse than it was was uh it was June twenty fourth, two thousand six. Like I know the day. I didn't go to the hospital. Probably should have. Wow. Um. Training for my second Leadville. And um, was doing oh mount- concussion guy. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Okay, go for it. So training for my second Leadville, and there's a hill here in in uh out in Golden called. Mount Falcon, and it's it's the hill that XC Racers uses their benchmark. It's the benchmark ride. Yep. If you want a litmus test for what kind of shape you're in, what's your time from the parking lot to the shelter? Um, it's a segment. Everybody talks about it. And the other unfortunate part about that ride is that if you catch it much past about 7 a.m., it's hotter than mother yeah fully exposed it's a, yeah it's all it's all exposed there's one section of trees kind of halfway up and there's one section of trees up at the top um pulled up got out of the car was feeling like a little lightheaded but it was close you know we're june you know into june's home stretch for leadville training right dude i gotta get this ride in and uh, was just feeling a little bit out of it. It was super hot. I was starting at 8 a.m. instead of starting at like 6.45. Short story long, I do the loop. It's hot. I'm probably dehydrated. I probably shouldn't have even been on the bike in the first place. And I'm coming back down, and I was I was just out of it enough that every time I ride past it, I remember the spot. But um, there's just one section of the trail where it kind of forks and it's just around some no non just this nonsense little like rock and a scrub brush of something and it then it comes right back together four feet later and i got indecisive as if i was going to go inside or outside around that little thing didn't do either and just ran straight into the rock 
and ejected off of the bike, landed like a sack of potatoes. My head literally ping-ponged, like, bounce-bounce on either side off of two different rocks, and I landed full tilt on, like, my left thigh. So much so that there was a noticeable dent in the tissue of Mm. my thigh. Um, Hop back up on my bike. You know, it's just one of those things, like, I've crashed before. So I hop back up and just dust myself off and like I'm trying to get to work and uh, dust myself off, go about 20 yards down the trail. And I'm like, nope, can't do this. Pull off to the side of the trail. And uh, my head was fuzzy. My ears were ringing. Uh, I was for sure concussed. And uh, these (laughs) these two women come not running up to me, but walking up to me at a pretty brisk pace. And they're like, like, are you okay? We just saw that whole thing. Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm bleeding out of my elbow. I'm sure I looked like I had just been punched in the face by Tyson. And uh, I'm like, no, I'm pretty beat up. And they're like, oh, we're nurses over at Swedish. We hike this trail every day. We've just been waiting for somebody to help. I'm like, I'm glad I could help you. (laughs) So uh, that was a pretty significant crash. And uh, the reason it stuck out in my mind is, you know, the concussion was really bad. Um, my coworkers at the time, about three weeks later were like, yeah, dude, you were messed up. Like we were just being nice, but we knew you couldn't handle more than about one thing at a time. And I'm at the time I'm managing a shop, you know? So that was a, that was a pretty significant one. Yeah. I remember that I came in and, uh, you, we had to go to restaurant depot cause we had a, a demo yeah. clinic the next day. Yeah. And you were, you're about retarded. Yeah. 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 No, I was, I was messed up. My helmet was cracked on both sides. Like, so wear your helmet kids. Yeah. <laughs> and also like, don't, don't, yeah, um, don't be indecisive. Right. Well, uh, or also like be decisive at the beginning. And when you think to yourself, man, maybe I shouldn't fucking ride today. Get your happy ass back in the car and go home. Right. 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 Like it, it's like people who go to the downhill park and say, oh, we're going to go for one last run. Mm-hmm. That's when somebody gets you know flight for life out of out do of the, the down. Run. You never do the last. No, run. never do the last run. So my lesson there, of course, was, you know, man, if you get out of the car and you're feeling a little bit lightheaded, maybe don't go for a technical mountain bike ride. Yeah. So, what about you? Uh, um my biggest crash, or I guess mistake slash crash slash like you're learning the sport was when I first got clips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, I you know. If, First, like mountain bike, getting back into it here in Colorado. And then I get some Shimano SPD pedals and I'm going to clip in and uh, I'm bombing down Apex Trail. And this is the very beginning part of my mountain bike career. So, you know, I've camelback on, I've got uh, big old bloused out baggy clothes and I'm hammering down uh, Apex and there's two hikers coming up. I'm in a yield right of way. Back then I used to do that. And so I locked up the brakes and uh, I locked up the brakes right at the top of a rock garden front tire grabs a rock. This is the best part of the story. I in I go like I'm going to OTB, like I'm going to go over the handlebars, but I don't cuz they're brand new clip-ins and it's brand new clips, so I'm stuck in that pedal. <laughs> so I my bike so I do a front flip. So my bike hits the rock, I launch, I'm upside down now. I bounce off my head that propels me back up into the air to complete the full front flip. It's the only front flip I've ever done on a mountain bike. <laughs> And I did a full front foot bouncing off my head, shattered my helmet. Yeah. Um, when I hit on my head, I collapsed my body. So I need myself into my nose. I think I broke my nose. 
like impressively straight. All, all of this, yeah, no, it's nice, right? All of this stuff happened in a split second, and then I'm laying on the side of the trail, and I'm wrecked. Yeah. Now I've like unclipped out of my bike. Yeah. And I remember I'm bleeding from the nose, bleeding from my mouth. My helmet's destroyed, and uh, I had that moment where I'm like. I don't think this sport's for me. <laughs> like straight up was going to quit mountain biking. I'm not doing, I'm not doing it. No, no I was done. I'm I was, out. I'm out. I quit. And I sat there for quite a while, like 15, 20 minutes. And the people that saw it, they keep hiking up. I'm like, did you see, did you, did you see that? And they're like, oh my God, dude. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I just wanted to leave me alone. And yeah. I sat there like licking my wounds and I almost quit the sport. Like I almost for sure that day was like, I'm done. You know, I ultimately didn't. You know, I ultimately learned how to ride with shoes that clip into your pedals, yeah. which practice in the parking lot first. Yeah. You'll not, still fall over on once. the trail. Um, and I still fall over to this day. Yeah. I fell over a week and last week I fell over. Totally. Couldn't unclip. Yeah. So, um, but that was my, that was my worst crash and it made me want to quit. And yeah. I think that's why it's relevant to bring up in response to this question is that, um, there are going to be those moments and I didn't quit unfortunately. And, and now I've been able to make something pretty cool out of this. Sport, yeah. So. Yeah. You're killing it, killing the game. It's fun. But, um, have you ever made any race mistakes? Oh, yeah. Oh, I've made race mistakes. All right. I'll do mine first. Oh, please. You I know want, what it is. I want to hear it. I can't I, wait. You know what it is. Yeah, but I want you to tell the story. Uh, so, same year, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> you know. The stuff works for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it would work for me, too. <laughs> if it wasn't the first time. So, anyway. So, 2016. Um... Was it just me? No, Travis was doing Leadville with it, but it was just me and you for the most part. Mm -hmm. Travis yeah. was kind of like, I think he showed up at the very end of the night. Like it wasn't, yeah. you and I went up early and it was a whole thing for us. We went up the night before probably. Yeah. Um, Racer meeting. Yeah. The whole deal. The deal. Um, so this is my second, second Leadville. Um, and uh, me and my fast buddy, Justin, or, you know, my coach, my fast coach buddy, Justin, are uh you know we're prepping all of our bottles and getting everything ready for um the girl girlfriends and the wives and 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 significant others that are going to be running aid for us uh out at twin lakes and uh i'm i'm doing my normal bottles perpetuum and whatever else it is and justin's mixing some bottle like what's that what you got there <laughs> yep and i don't remember what it is whatever the fuck it was um, the lesson was don't modify your race nutrition the day of the race. Massive mistake. Massive. Um, and it resulted in me having a DNF. Um, and it wasn't a bad product. No, it was. It's actually really good for you. No, no, no. It, 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 it was a hundred percent that it was my body under stress and this wasn't something it was used to. Right. Full stop. I mean, it had nothing to do with the merits of the product. And that's why I say, like, if I had spent the season training on it, probably would have been fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I don't know. You didn't tell me not to, so right. So I did it. Mm -hmm. um, re resulted in that. So I, I slammed a bottle of I don't know, what was it. You don't have to tell me what like the brand. It was, it was but an like, amino acid yeah, supplement. Yeah. yeah. So I roll into to so there was a number of mistakes. Um, this is also the race why th this year was the, the the reason that I'll never race with the Camelback ever again. Right. Um, I couldn't keep track of my fluid, so you could argue that I rolled into the aid you know aid one our, our aid one uh, Twin Lakes outbound um, dehydrated already because I had a 
a 70 ounce camelback that I had barely drank anything out of for 40 miles. Couldn't see it though. Don't know. Couldn't see it. Didn't know. I thought I was drinking enough. I had already drank my bottle. So compounding the lack of hydration up to that point. Which with, the product I told you that I recommended that you did. Yeah. Um, the only thing with that product is that Don't. if you are dehydrated and you drink it, it's going to fuck, fuck your you world up. up. So, so no camelback ever again. I'll never race with one unless it's unless I have to. Or it's auxiliary. Like you have two bottles in this camelback's like. A- well, when I did the our the the May sixteenth road race, like fifty miles unsupported, I did a camelback. Yeah, right. I, like unpop- unpopular opinion, but like I have one bottle cage on my bike. Mm-hmm. What am I gonna do? Um, so dehydrated, rolling into Twin Lakes out or uh, yeah, Twin Lakes outbound. I stopped for my bottle of Perpetuum, my bottle bottle of uh, the Aminos, take off on the climb up Columbine, severe gut distress, let go of it on the side of the trail, um, still have a bottle Vomit of- Vomit or ass? Yeah, no, I threw up. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I, uh, but, you know, um, I, was, I was probably four miles into Columbine. So, you know, I had a ways to go, but it wasn't so far that I couldn't get in front of it. So I chilled out for a minute, drank another bottle. Yeah, because I still had a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. I drank my other bottle. I was like, all right, if if I keep this down, I'll probably be okay. And that one didn't stay down either. And Vomit or ass? Uh, threw up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, des- dude, so, so desperate to actually make this be the year, like, like I really want. I was like, man. Like if I finish, like I always call it race math. All right, I'm 44 miles in. It's six more miles to the top. I'll be halfway done. It's pretty much all downhill back to to 60 miles. Right, so right, like, right. Yeah, you, yeah, at the end of the day, you only have three miles to pedal. Yeah, you're like, dude, I'm yeah. I'm finished basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're not even to the top of Columbine. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, so I, I, I'm still in the defiant part of this where I'm like, okay, fine. I threw up twice. I don't have any more fluids with me, but there's all these bottles laying on the side of the trail because everybody's ejecting them out of their bikes. I started drinking out of other people's bottles just because oh, yeah. they were on the side of the trail. Yeah, I've been there. Um, but it 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 had gone too far, and uh, I made it to the top of Columbine, made it back down Columbine, rolled into Twin Lakes outbound, and just double quad cramp lock couldn't even unclip off the bike. So DNF and it was all cause I, I would say two mistakes, the camel back and then something that I wasn't used to, to trying drinking. new stuff. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. trying, trying new stuff on execution day, not testing day. Right. So that's my, I would say that was, I mean, dude, I cried. Like I got yeah. back to our house and like I took a shower and I put some clothes on and then I went in the bedroom and laid under the blankets and I probably cried for an hour. It was, you were so, it was such a bad deal. I didn't even feel good finishing the race because <laughs> I felt so bad. When you I, and Travis when I were finished, so cool about it. Dude, when I finished is when right like at the finish line, Abby tells me that you didn't finish. Yeah. And I'm like crushed. It yeah. was like, it was my first Leadville. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> It was such a, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. You know, cause I felt for you. Dude, it so. was, it was brutal. It was uh so, you know, that's my lesson. Don't try new shit on race day. So I have, um, 
two mistakes, right? And I think there are good lessons as takeaways. Were they well. all on the same day like mine were? No, I have two separate ones, but they're, they're the same like th- thematically. Um, I didn't get into mountain bike racing first. I got into that adventure racing first. So those AXS races where mm-hmm. you would mountain bike and trail run and kayak and do like some sort of rope steel, whether it's Tyrolean or rappelling. Um, and it's a, a complex of courses. And so I thought it, I, I, that appealed to me. I liked it a lot. Um, so I'm doing my first one and it's in Moab and I did it as a two man team, my teammates, Andy Chamberlain. And, um, at this point we're talking like 2013, I think. And I am gym dude to the max, right? 2013, you know, E3 got its own gym in 2011. Um, I'm super gym dude. So Still carrying around a bunch of muscle mass, still throwing big weight. Like I lift for pure vanity, look to look like gym guy. But I am super fit, and I can go and do pretty much anything. I play hoops four days a week. I lift six days a week. I'm going and riding this mountain bike thing maybe two days a week. So super fit. And so I go into this event knowing that my fitness is going to take me through. Um, we also had some other people as part of our group, but they were racing as a co-ed team, so a guy-girl squad. Um, and then we had two other guys on another two-man team. I'm the fittest dude out there, visually. <laughs> right. So I'm going to crush. Dude, we are in the first le- – we're still in the bike, right? And we're hammering on the bike. And I'm eating salt pills. I'm like, I'm eating salt tablets, thinking electrolyte tabs are my key is. I end up getting a double leg cramp and can't move. I literally can't move. I collapse on the bike, and Andy – uh, as a great teammate, he's massaging my quads <laughs> on the side of the trail. Now we're at the very, very front of the race because we're like super fit, right? Yeah. No one can touch us. And I've blown up in the very in the first twenty five percent of the race. I've blown up with quad cramps. I've never had cramps before in my life. And he's massaging my legs. And then we get to the trail run section, and I'm trying to trail run. I can't even run. I'm walking. So we're we're walking, and I'm in like a sleeveless tri kit and freaking <laughs> compression socks like up to my knees. Like I'm thinking i'm i'm all dialed and uh i was relying just on the fact that i'm crazy fit and i'm gonna be obviously you're gonna win because you're right. super fit you're fit you're not you don't have sports specific Dude, i got beat by every single person that was part of our kind of group right. i got my ego taken and my lesson was like your fitness whatever you think your fitness is if it's not specific for the thing you're trying to compete in like you're you're probably not fit like your ability to do push-ups is not your ability to win an adventure race right and that was my first real reality check with it um every now and again i'll see like a facebook memory and you'll see that picture from us being out there and i'm like oh my gosh dude i have i really learned a lot um so that was number one like all fitness is not created equal and i learned that in moab with the double leg cramp having my buddy massage me on the side of a trail and 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 you and Chambie's relationship was forever changed. It was no, it's 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 only gotten closer. <laughs> uh, second rule uh, thing that I learned was actually also at Twin Lakes during a Leadville as well with you, um, and it was the same year. Yeah, it was that first year as well. Um, that was my first hundred mile race. I had done twenty four hour races though, where I had ridden a hundred miles as the same event, but not a single event, right? Not a single pedal, rather. Um, and one of the things I love during in, a multi-teammate 24-hour race is that you get to eat hearty food. You get to eat like real good food. Yeah. Um, because you have time to like eat and digest. Yeah, like three chill. hours, right? Yeah. In theory. Two, three hours, however it's going to work out. But in uh, in in Leadville, for instance, you're in a constant motion, so there's no stopping. 
the way your body processes food with stopping and not stopping is wildly different. Um, I didn't know this. And so my first Leadville, come back into Twin Lakes, and I eat my favorite 24-hour racing snack, which is a bagel with cream cheese and bacon. Oh, God. And chocolate milk. And chocolate milk (laughs) and coffee. (laughs) Oh, this, yeah. Is this why you had to take a shit for 20 minutes at this the, the base exactly of... This is exactly why at the base of Powerline Ascent in mile 82, I am shitting for over 20 minutes <laughs> in a porta potty A glorious <laughs> shit, mind you. Like a picture-worthy text-your-friend shit. But uh, also why I didn't go sub-nine my first year of Leadville. Uh, I missed about 15 minutes because I'm shitting for 20. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Um, Was that McDonald? You guys got to that aid station at the same time? Yeah, and, and you kicked it with me. And you were like... Man, I think I have to. And he's like, if you think you have to, you probably do. <laughs> yeah. And so I did. He was cool enough to wait for me uh, while I while I pu- pulled the old number two. And uh, and then I got on the bike and felt wild. Oh, so much. And then I dropped him, which yeah. was best <laughs> oh, no. So I dropped him like a freaking uh, bag of hammers. Yeah, poor bastard. Uh, and, and left him. But He waited um, for you, and yeah. then you just dropped him. So both of them are just um, not applying what you know to the – specific thing you're trying to accomplish like i'm trying to crossbreed too many things yeah and uh those are the biggest lessons i've learned so far in this sport is just what works over there doesn't necessarily work over here um and like what your lesson was too don't go anything anything untried yeah you know all the way through to the finish so big mistakes um let's just i think we could the this other one kind of ties into that. What's something that you wish you could tell your cycling self from five years ago, whether it's tech, bike related, fitness focus, or global nutrition? Um, this is a real short one for me. Yeah. You know, five years ago was 2016. Uh, yeah, it would have been the summer of 2016, right? Ish. 15. 15. Year before. That was my first Leadville. Um, I, I don't know that I have anything really like that earth shattering. Um, I wish I could. I got it. I nailed it just now. Um, carry your fitness from year to year to year. I didn't start doing that until last year. Mm-hmm. Last year was, you know, coming off of last year's race season and going into this year is the first year I stayed consistent from, January of 2019 through August of 2019 through December. And, you know, I've consistently been getting four to six days a week of some sort of training. Yeah. And I wish I had done that more from 2015, which was my first year at Leadville. Yeah. And that you've said that several times. So, yeah. you know, that one's spot on. Yeah. Five years ago, 2015. I'll tell you this. Um, there's a lot of, for me anyway, uh, there's a lot of insecurities tied up into a sport that has so many complexities, right? These bikes are complex. The gear is complex, gear range complex, what you have, what you don't have, how you carry your bike, what clothes you wear, um, where you ride, what trails you should do. Like there's, there's so many ways to feel, uh, inferior to other riders or group sets or knowledge or intelligence. Like, I think it's a very, it's easy to feel like outmatched or overgunned in this sport, both with your experience or lack thereof. Um, and I think if I could rewind to five years, I spent a lot of time um, probably too caught up in what maybe other people, what I thought other people thought of how I either approached the sport or what I was doing or what I was riding, what I was wearing, what I had, what I didn't have. Um, and that puts like ceilings on 
yourself and it's a limiter. And I know I felt that for sure. Um, because I look back to where I was then and I look to where I'm at now and I don't think there's any limits at all whatsoever, but I've kind of gotten to this poignier end of writing that I can now think that way. And I wish I could say, Hey, no, five years ago, dude, like just think that way now. Like there's no limit to what you can do as long as you're out there trying all the time. Um, and stop thinking about what everyone else is thinking about. Stop thinking about what their opinion is or what bike they have or what, what they have that you don't have or, I just let all that shit go. Um, I wish I could tell myself that from five years ago. Nice. Because it's 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 cool what you can accomplish when you finally do let that go away. So. That's awesome. I like that one. Yeah. It's good. All right. I think we saved the best one for last. We did save the best one for last. <laughs> we did that on purpose, guys. Yeah. I don't, we didn't even talk about doing it on purpose. No. We just organically did that. Well, we all we looked at the list and we're like, well, you can't talk about that one right now. All, all right. right. I'll read the question yeah, because go for you're going to go. For, all right. You can only have one bike for the next five years. What's your ideal bike and build? So let's address that if somebody made a horror movie specifically to terrorize <laughs> me, it would be one bike for the next five years. <laughs> I like how the person who wrote the question said, hey, this is a nightmare scenario, but you get to have your dream build bike. Yeah. So we got both ends. Um, so I, I think... You know, I, I'm I'm frequently not a fan of like the the myth of the one bike quiver. It doesn't exist. No, you can't have it. It, it the, you you're not gonna sit there and tell me that you can buy one bike and you can go ride bike parks and do cross country races and be successful at both. You can't be your best successful at right. both. Yeah. Um. But um, I think that. If you had to pick one bike to try to do a lot of things with, it would be the bike I just built. And this is totally on accident that I just happened to have built a new oh. bike. Um, so I just built up a Norco Optic. And it's a great bike. It's not unique by any stretch of the imagination right now in the bike business. It's probably one of the more popular styles of bike, um, which is basically kind of a mid to shortish travel trail bike with very gravity oriented geometry. So my new bike is, um, 125 millimeters of travel in the rear, 140 millimeters of travel in the front, but the front end's way raked out. It's a 65 degree head angle. So it's not as light as my revolver. My revolver with a dropper post, um, is like, 24.8 pounds at 120 millimeters travel front and rear. Um, and I could probably lose a little off of that if I really cared, but I don't care. Um, and it's not as heavy by a long stretch as the Yeti SB 150 I've been riding. I mean, that's probably a 34 pound bike. Sits in right about 29 pounds. So if I had to have one bike, that would be the kind of bike. You know, so for the people out there, Ibis Ripley, Santa Cruz Tallboy, Norco Optic, um, as I said, it's a it's a pretty popular category right now. Um, because I can go to the bike park and do blues and greens at whatever speed I want and tiptoe through blacks. Um with the change of tires, maybe I lose a pound and I can still go do a Leadville or um 
a firecracker 50. So uh, as far as the build goes, you know, Shimano XTR, I'm doing four piston brakes on that. Again, I think I want to have a little bit more versatility on the gravity side of things. Um, carbon wheels, dropper post, I mean, no major surprises on the build. So you're going kind of, I'm not going to call it a happy medium bike, but it's kind of like a happy medium. It is right. It's something that sits very comfortably in the middle that I can stretch in either direction. Yeah. Okay. What about you? Well, I'm drawn to that sort of solution because you can ride it anywhere and you will probably enjoy most of your ride but on the on the ends of the spectrum, super XC or super gnarly gnarly, you might be like, man, I wish I had just a little bit. Um, I'm a man of extremes. <laughs> I like one side or the other side a lot. And so um, here's what I would do. I've already done it, actually. Um, I do it a little bit differently, but here's what I would do. I would pick the bike that brings me the most bike ride satisfaction like uh man i just riding a bike you know instead of getting too caught up in whether or not it's the perfect tool for the trade because i have too much experience now to know that like you said there is no perfect tool for the trade so i'm not going to do the the solution in the middle i'm going to build a single speed and i'm going to build a single speed very much like my current single speed with some modifications um and i'm going to do this for one reason Riding the bike is my favorite thing. And riding a single speed has proven that to me more times over because I can't get finicky about gears. I can't get finicky about how the derailleur is shifting. My B screw is not quite right. It's making a noise in the big gear. Like there's all these things that happen to me on a geared bike that like just draw frustrations. Like they just fucking piss me off. Like it's grindy. It's this, it's that. And I feel like the drivetrain is oftentimes the reason why that, that happens so much more than any other time. Also, when I do have issues with like brakes or I have issues with a creaky bottom bracket or I have issues with a creaky fucking headset or I have like these noise, noise drives me insane. This is the theme. Okay. Clearly. Okay. (laughs) And when I'm doing that on a typical bike, like it'll piss me off and just consume me. Riding a single speed is so fucking hard that even if those things start to happen, once you start climbing and you're out of the saddle and like you're in your throat, you stop thinking about the creak because you're like, this fucking sucks. So it's really simplified my life. Like it's simplified everything about riding when I ride just one gear. Um, but I make some changes to what I have right now. I would build a Santa Cruz chameleon single speed with a bomber fork, like a 36 on the front. So I had a super sponged out fork, obviously dropper post. Um, and I would do it belt driven. I do a belt drive Santa Cruz chameleon with a 36 fork on the front. I don't know if you can do a belt on the sing- on the Santa Cruz. That's what pissed me off. It's a dream build, bro. It's yeah. not like a fucking reality build. Okay. All right. So let me talk about the points why. So the Chameleon has the ab- ability to swap out, right, the dropouts. Yep. And so if you did want to put gears on it or you did want to do this or you did want to do that, you can like mix things around a little bit. And that's one thing that my alchemy leaves me a little short on um, is that like to swap it over to a dry, it's like a pain, it's a bit, feels like a bit more of a pain in the ass. It's a thing. It's a thing. Um I would want belt instead of chain just because I want because it's a dream you build. Want, you want a belt drive. And I want a belt drive and I want it to be quiet. I want yeah. it to be silent. It would be. It would be silent. 
And I'll do a 36 fork on the front because that's super spongy, crazy bomber. So when I do drop the post, I could go treat it like a dirt jumper or I could go even go rail a bike park because I have like massive front end travel. Right. But I'd go to the roots of what I like for bike riding, which is like just ride the fucking bike. And when you're on a single speed, you so many times learn just ride the fucking bike. Ride the bike. Yeah, just stop, stop bitching, just ride. Like, shut up. So that'd be my build. Nice. That's awesome. That's very unexpected. Actually, I don't even know what I thought I expected. Like I was so like so me centric about that question that I didn't even stop for a second to con- contemplate what I thought you would come up with. Well, I think here's what I'm influenced by: everyone is on the wrong bike, <laughs> right? This, yes, you all need new bikes. <laughs> <laughs> no, the last trip I was on, like we had a big group doing a big ride. One dude was on a big bike, a 150, and he's like, "Yeah, it's just a bit more bike than I need," you know. Yeah. Uh, another guy's on a 27.5. He's like, "Oh man, these climbs kind of like getting to me. I wish I had my 29er." One guy's on a 100 mil 29, like Scott World Cup, like yeah, the fastest just, fucking yeah. XC bike you can get. And he goes, man, I brought the wrong bike, which I was on my pivot. And, you know, like everyone was just on <laughs> the wrong. Nobody was happy with what no, they had. Yeah. And so, like, I really think finding a middle ground will always leave like that. You could say that. I'm not trying to, like, poo-poo what you picked. No, not at all. Um, But you can always, like, you can always say that. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to go super extreme, dude. I'm going to do a bomber out one gear bike that's not perfect anywhere. <laughs> and then he just accepted. It's never right, so it's always right. <laughs> exactly. That's what I picked. That's awesome. Oh, good stuff. Well, that brings us to the end of the questions. Um, I would love to keep this going as like a monthly or or whatever thing. So if you have some questions, email us at no ridearound at gmail.com. And We'll do the same thing with your questions as we did with these. Fire them out there, guys. Don't let us, uh, nothing's off the table. No, seriously. And, and that's the thing. I mean, we've covered a lot. And even if we don't worry about going through the, you know, the past episodes to see if we maybe per, per chance covered it, like just ask us. Um, it, it might be a question that, or something that we did talk about in the past, but maybe didn't give it its due course, or maybe we've learned more totally. uh, since then. So, um, gear, training, eating, um, you name it. Um, I, just, just get them out there and, uh, we'd love to, love to answer them on another episode. That's it for us guys. Thanks a bunch y'all. Get the fuck out! You're weak! You're done!